Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. We'll get into, we'll just look briefly at Genesis 2 and move to Genesis chapter 3. Thursday morning prayer every week, I remind you at Thursday, Thursday at 6 a.m., I pray with whomever will show up on Zoom with me and pray. Uh, the link, or if you would like the link, we send it out on our prayer text every, every Thursday morning at 5.55. So you can sign up by texting prayer to uh, the phone number there. And uh, we would love for you to be a part of our prayer team receiving regular prayer updates. But also you can get that link through, through that text. And just, uh, it's very simple. Uh, I, I was, uh, um, somebody said, maybe, maybe folks don't understand how simple Zoom is. It's very simple. You can do it if, if the technology is a, is a concern. And then you can leave your, your camera off so you don't have to be, you know, like perfectly coiffed. You don't have to have done your makeup. Um, I never do my makeup beforehand. And so you're, uh, you know, you'll be in good company. And, and we just, it's a, it's a great way to start your Thursday. And so I encourage you to join in that. Maybe it would be a practice that you would pick up during the season of Lent. We are in the season of Lent right now, the 40 days preparing our hearts for Easter. We began with our Ash Wednesday service this last Wednesday when we took the sign of the cross in ash on our foreheads as a sign of our repentance and desire to get rid of the sin in our lives, the seriousness with which we look at the sin that is in our lives. And so these next 40 days leading up to our Easter celebration, uh, I would encourage you to take on some practices that would mark these days as special for you, whether it be fasting, fasting a 24-hour period each, each week, or fasting from something through, through the season. And I just remind you, we, we began a prayer wall that is in the foyer next to kind of our welcome area there that has ribbons that we tied on it on Wednesday night, that remains available. And maybe another great practice that you would enjoy taking on during the season of Lent would be to take some of those ribbons with you today and, and make those a ribbon, a bookmark in your devotional guide or in your, your Bible this week and pray and maybe mark something on them. You don't have to write on them, but then bring them back next Sunday and, and tie on a, a prayer a request or a confession or um, an answer and just uh, allow that to be a rhythm for you through this this season as we prepare our hearts for Easter. I'd encourage you to take advantage of that. You don't have to take the ribbons and, and bring them back. You could just write on them today after the service. You could could write or or just tie a ribbon onto our prayer wall there and make that a part of, of your worship today. So I'd encourage you to, to consider how you are setting this season apart. I think we have three or four of the devotional guides for the season of Lent left. If you would like to follow along with us through that devotional guide, uh, I believe there are three or four left. Is that right, Bill? And, and they'll be available in the foyer here. And so grab one of those if you haven't. Uh, they're called Water for the Way. And I'd, again, I just encourage you to, to set apart this time to prepare for, for the Easter celebration that's coming up. So during the season of Lent, I am preaching on Sunday mornings then with a, in, through a series 
that goes kind of along with the Water for the Way devotional guide. And so this, this last week, the devotional guide took us through a handful of practices and sort of the why for those Christian practices that we, we put on during the season of Lent. And as we move forward then, the, this next week is going to be focused on understanding our need for connecting with God, our need for, for getting into God's presence, our need for, for, for the Lord in our lives. And if in, in the Christian life, we, we confess that we need God's help. And that is, that is kind of why we're here. We're all here because we recognize in, in this life, we just can't do it all on our own. And, and we, need, we need God's help. Today, we're going to be looking in, in the Bible at one of the stories, probably the first story where human beings come up against their need for God, where human beings realize we can't do this on our own. And so to, to get there, I, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in over your head? So you have, good. I'm not alone here. Uh, I, uh, during our last year as, as missionaries in Ecuador, one of our, my responsibilities was overseeing maintenance. And it was, uh, COVID began during that time, so we, we had to send employees. We couldn't... Uh, National restrictions were, were such that we couldn't have all of our employees all of the time. So uh, we had like really capable employees, a, a groundskeeper, a full-time groundskeeper, a full-time maintenance person on our campus that, that took care of the notoriously finicky water system on our seminary campus. But because those, those folks weren't able to be at work as much, some of that work fell to me. And I, I found myself in over my head like numerous times, several times receiving phone calls from, from other missionaries saying, why don't I have any water in my apartment? Or uh, why, why are the lights not working here? And all, all kinds of problems that I didn't know the answer to. And so I would have to make phone calls and try to find, find solutions. But the time that sticks out as kind of the most over my head that I got was that in, in doing the groundskeeping, uh, like small engine repair is just not my forte. And when our best weed eater, uh, it was a really nice like steel weed eater, it just stopped working. For whatever reason, it just, it just, it stopped. And so it seemed like a good idea at the time to, to take it apart. Because, I mean, what do you do if, if it's not working? You try to take it apart and figure out why it's not working. Surely there's, you know, a piece of gravel lodged in there somewhere, and I, if I just get that out. And I, uh, I, I had a, there was a Venezuelan seminary student. He was kind of my co-conspirator on, on a lot of things. He, he lived on campus, so, so he could show up to work all the time. And we put him to good, good use. And he was a pretty good mechanic. He was, he was better than me. And so we, we took it apart and put it back together and it wouldn't run. And then we took it apart another way and put it back together another way. And pretty soon we were pretty sure there were parts missing. And pretty soon we were pretty sure this is never, this is never going to work as long as we are, are working with it. And, and after a while, after, after a while, the grass was growing taller and it became obvious we were going to have to find an expert. We were going to have to find like a small engine repair shop to help us out. And I'll just tell you, it's the worst as a, as a grown man to take 
take something that you've tinkered on to a real mechanic to say, like, I mean, it's so embarrassing, so embarrassing. And I couldn't get my co-conspirator to go with me, of course. So I found a repair shop on the other side of the city and drove slowly and, you know, in bad Spanish, I don't know all the words for all of those parts and pieces. I know, I know theological words in Spanish. I don't know engine words in Spanish. So here, here is this thing that's not working. Bad Spanish, worse mechanic, dumb gringo. Just please, please help me out here. And so I sheepishly explained what had been going wrong and what I couldn't fix. And, and at the repair shop, they said, hey, we fix like one of these a day, man. Like, you've, you've come to the right place. We, we know what we're doing here. In Ecuador, I, I love the wording they use. The, the best mechanic in the shop or the lead builder on a job site, they, they call maestro. Maestro, that's master. The, the master mechanic or the master builder. And so I, I went to, I went to the, the master's workshop. And, and the master's workshop, you know, it was just a couple of days later, they, they called me up and, and I went back and for not very much money for such skilled labor and for a few gaskets, I think, uh, they, they had the thing running like a dream. And, and so it turns out that just swallowing my pride, going to the master's workshop was, was the only way to fix my problem. And it fixed it perfectly. And, and we were able to keep doing the work. Today we, we are going to start in, in a scripture that comes from, from the very beginning. The very beginning of people recognizing that they can't do it on their own. That they need the master to help them. But it begins, we, we won't understand the whole story if we don't take a step back and, and read how the Lord set things up for people at the very beginning. And so right after, right after Adam had been created, that first human being, he was, he was set down in a place, and, and this is what we read in Genesis, 15, or Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay, in the Christian life, in the, in the world that we live in, oftentimes the Christian life is portrayed as a simple list of do's and don'ts right? We, we can easily begin to think that the Christian life is just a, a long list of restrictions against the freedom that we would otherwise have. And, and people actually stay away from church and stay away from the Christian life, I think, because they think of all the things they won't be able to do if they, if they put their faith in, in Jesus. And, and then, like, Here's the evidence right here in Genesis chapter 2. We are, the clay is not, the, the, the clay that formed Adam, it hasn't even cured yet. And right at the very beginning, we read the, the first restriction against humanity. I mean, here it is, it's black and white right there. God only created people in order to give them rules and, and regulations and limits. I mean, we, we could read that this way, couldn't we? 
It seems really early in God's relationship with humanity for him to be putting restrictions on people. But God unabashedly says, unabashedly, he says, you can eat from anything, any tree you want except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it sounds rude, right? It sounds rude. As human beings, when we hear a rule, when we hear a limit, like if the speed limit is 25, that's a suggestion, right? Like 20, 28 surely, surely isn't, uh, isn't too far. When we hear a boundary, we know exactly where we are going to stand. We are going to stand just on the other side of that boundary. That is human nature. And so it seems, it seems rude that God would create us exactly like that and then immediately say, and here's the boundary. Don't step over it. But God establishes a relationship with people by giving them both liberty and restriction. Right? It's easy to, to read just the restriction in these verses. It's easy to read, you cannot eat, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's easy to read that and then forget it comes right on the heels of God saying, eat from any tree in the garden that you would like. All of the other trees are, are for you. They are for Adam. You can eat any of them that you would like, just not the one. And, and there, is, there is one boundary. We are so, as, as human beings, we just love to fixate on the restriction, right? There is one restriction. There are, there are hundreds of, of good options that are, that are available to the man as he is placed in the garden. And, and we, we ought to read God giving the instruction and understand that he gives a rationale. And he doesn't give a lot of reasons, but he gives a rationale. He says, if you eat it, you will surely die. He doesn't explain how. He doesn't explain why. He doesn't say, like, you're allergic to that. You, your throat will swell up and you will die. He doesn't, you know, there is, no, there is no explanation necessarily about what's going to happen. Just eat from anything else you would like. Listen to all of these things that you can eat. There is this one that you can't. And, and the boundary or or the restriction, then, that God places on, on the first person, it really boils down to trust. It really boils down to if, if that first person will trust what God has said and trust that in, in all of the other trees that, that he can eat from, that, that there is sustenance and life in them. Or, or is God withholding the one really, really good thing? Can, can, can Adam trust that God is, is really making a good boundary for him? Or is God trying to withhold the one really good thing that, that he has created? We, we must recognize in areas where God has placed boundaries on us as human beings. We must recognize that God places boundaries around us for our good. It was for Adam's good that he not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He would surely die if he did. 
we, we don't always get answers as to why God has placed a particular boundary in front of us. We don't always get, get good answers. We don't always understand. It, when we simply think of the, the very clear restrictions in Scripture, Jesus said, hating is akin to murder. Why would it be all that bad? There's not a lot of rationale behind that. Why would it be all that bad to hate another human being? It feels good to like really get your anger out at somebody. Why would that be all that bad to hate somebody? God doesn't give us the answer. He says it's bad for you. Trust me and stay away. Why, why would it be all that bad? Why would it be all that bad? Like we have God. Would it really be that bad to also worship the sun? Like would it really, the sun is giving us heat and light. Shouldn't, shouldn't we like hedge our bets a little bit? But God says the boundary is worship and serve only me. We, we are told to trust God. We, we are given a lot of rationale. Well, why, why is it really, why was it so important that in God's top 10 list, he said, don't covet, don't want things that belong to other people. It's just wanting something that belongs to another person. Why would that be really all that bad? Why would, why would God put such a, you know, kind of a silly restriction on us? When we hear God give a restriction to humanity, in, at every turn, God is asking us to trust. The Lord wants, when, when the Lord gives us restriction, when the Lord places a boundary, it is the, it is the Lord asking us to trust God. Were Adam and Eve willing to trust that God's provision outside of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good enough for them? Were they willing to trust God? That in all of that, there, there, was, there was good enough for them. Are we willing to trust that all we need for, for hope and peace and joy in this life lies outside the areas that God has restricted from us? Are, are we willing to trust that the, the designer of our souls understands and knows what is best for us? We think about uh, the, the boundaries that God has placed, and some, some seem firm, some seem kind of nebulous. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly what, what God expects, but uh, the the story of Genesis 3 reminds us that any time that we near a boundary that God has placed in our lives, we are not left alone. That there is an enemy of our souls that, that will not allow the boundary to remain untested. And so we read in Genesis chapter 3, the story goes on, verses 1 through 7, Genesis 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say to you, I eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. 
The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So the serpent comes. The serpent comes and, and it doesn't actually address the boundary, address a caricature of the boundary. The, the serpent immediately, the, the, the trick here is, is to try to change the boundary, to, to try to find uh, a different boundary and attack that, and, and then in that way get Adam and Eve to, to question uh, God's intentions around the boundary. And so he tries to make the boundary about God withholding from, from them. It's, it's exactly what we do ourselves, right? Maybe it's the tempter in us uh, that constantly wants us to question whether that boundary is okay or not, or if that's really good for us or not. And, and so Adam and Eve are, are standing in the garden with all the fruit they could ever want, every, everything they, they possibly need, lacking nothing, but there is that one one prohibition, <laughs> that one that one prohibition, and, and the serpent leads them to fixate on that one thing they can't do. Uh, that's the serpent's game, fixate on that one thing that they cannot do. And, and you know, the, the serpent appears to be in conversation with Eve alone, but it, carefully reading through this, we, we see she is not speaking alone to, the, the serpent is not speaking alone to Eve. Every time the serpent addresses the Eve uh, with a pronoun, the, the pronouns are plural. Um, that's not as easy to see in, in the English, but uh, the, the serpent is speaking to them, uh, not, not just to Eve. And, and then in, in verse 6, when Eve gives the fruit to Adam, he's right there. He's right there. He, he's, he is with Eve as, as this conversation is, is happening. May this be a lesson to us about passively standing by as other people make poor decisions in front of us. Um, it, this, this passage gets used often, you know, anything about Adam and Eve, it comes down to like gender roles. It's not about gender roles. It's about passively watching anybody go the wrong way. Uh, I'll leave it there. It, <laughs> it's not though, it's not though as, as, Adam would have you believe, <laughs> uh, as Adam would have you believe, evil wasn't alone in the middle of the garden, and she found this great fruit, and came and found Adam, interrupted his prayer time in the, in the quiet corner of the garden. It's, it's not that at all. It is that they are right there together, right there together, as the serpent is having this conversation. Uh, they, and, and regardless, regardless of, of who is tempted and how, both eat. Both eat the fruit that they knew they, they were not supposed to. Both, both knew the boundary that God had placed. Adam was the one who heard it from the, the, the mouth of the Lord, that you will surely die if you eat from that. They, they both had spent evenings walking in the cool of, of the evening with the Lord in the garden. Uh, they both had every reason to trust God. And, and they both chose not to obey the boundary that had been placed in front of them. And both Adam and Eve, at, at the same moment, 
they, they blink and they realize, oh, we're not covered up. We're not covered up here. They feel vulnerable for the first time in their existence. We read what happens next in verses 8 through 13. The one, oh, that's six, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me, uh, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she said. That was why I ate. Sin creates shame. Sin creates shame. It's just, uh, it's the natural byproduct. It's the first byproduct, maybe, of, of sin is shame. Adam and Eve knew they were naked. The, the text points to their physical, physically naked bodies, right? Uh, they sew, sew fig leaves together to clothe themselves. But they're hiding from God. It indicates a, a deeper level of shame. Uh, it's not just about being physically naked. It's about not wanting to be seen by God. They, their, their decision to violate that one boundary that God had created for them changed their relationship with God, and, and they felt vulnerable in front of God for the first time. Before this, they, we, we can presume that they had walked and talked with God in the garden in those evenings without any clothes and not felt like they needed to hide. And they did what vulnerable and ashamed people do. They started by blaming. <laughs> they blamed Adam, in verse 12, he says, it's that woman you gave me, God. It's that woman you gave me. And Eve says, oh, that was a good trick. No, it wasn't me, it's the serpent. It's the serpent that, that uh, made me do it. And God is unimpressed. God's unimpressed. God pronounces judgment. Uh, if we were to read on first on the serpent, then on the woman, and then on the man. And God's curse on the man includes the reminder that you were created from dust and to dust you will return. And then Adam's entire life will be spent from, from then on trying to get as much life from the dust of the earth as he possibly can. The men, man and woman are set loose from the garden. And in many ways, real earthly existence begins. Uh, this is existence. It's like, it's like Adam and Eve had this honeymoon with existence in the garden. Uh, and, and when the Lord sets them loose from the garden, the, the honeymoon's over, kids come along, real work begins. Sin is, is ever-present, and, and it, is, it is the real human experience that begins. God had prepared Adam for his life of scraping sustenance from the dust by letting him tend Eden for a while. And then God sends him, sets him loose into the world. In verse 21 in chapter 3, God does one more act of preparation for real life. God makes clothes for Adam and Eve. 
the, they, their clothes made out of animal skins, probably quite a bit more sturdy than the fig leaf clothes that Adam and Eve had tried to make. It's real preparation for life. And that, that act of God's compassion has struck me this week. Sin ruins our relationship with God. It, it changed how Adam and Eve would relate to God forever. But even in, in broken relationship, God cares for Adam and Eve. It's like God had read the end of Romans chapter 8, that there is nothing you can do. There is no created thing, not even you, can separate you from the love of God. And their shame, their shame threatened to separate them from God forever. It would not stop God's compassion on them. Their shame would not stop God from showing love to them. I would guess that there are people here this morning who are fighting against boundaries. Um, I, never, I never call out young people specifically, but I'm going to call out young people specifically this morning because when we are younger, we fight against boundaries more. Old people, we just cruise right past the boundaries. We don't care. Um, I, as a young person, it, it seems like you become keenly aware of the boundaries that exist in your life. And you are given a gift by God in the form of your parents who help make those boundaries sometimes firmer than, than they would be without your parents. And... Um, Sometimes it seems like those boundaries that it, when, when we're young, those boundaries tend to be about like our relationships with those we are attracted to and tend to be about um, what we put into our bodies. Um, now there are a lot of restrictions about technology and boundaries around those things. Um, for all of us who, who are coming up against a boundary, who feel that tension and, and feel that, that frustration over something good being withheld from us, of thinking there is something on the other side of that line that if I just cross that line, I, I think I would be having something that I am missing out on because I'm, I'm obeying a, an arbitrary line. May I say that, that there is wisdom in, in having faith in the people who set boundaries for us and particularly, there is wisdom in following the boundaries that God has placed in our lives. Uh, as, as old people who have shot past many boundaries, there, there is wisdom in the boundaries that are placed in our lives when we are younger. Your, your folks, your parents understand that, and they, they put boundaries that they wish that they would have abided by themselves or boundaries that they're glad they abided by themselves. As, as the, all of us then, we all deal with the shame of, of knowing that we've crossed over a boundary. I, I would guess this morning that there, there are people here who are, who are dealing with, with deep shame and hurt 
over having crossed a boundary. There, there are people who you don't even know why you came this morning. What right do you have to show up in the presence of a holy God to be here? You feel, you feel like there is a gulf between you and God's compassion. And you're in over your head. You've just, you're in over your head. You've taken apart that motor and tried to put it together a thousand different ways. It's just not working. And you've come to the right place. This is the master's workshop. You've come among the right people. Because you are, you are in a place where, where we recognize it. And Paul said it best. Every human being has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us here who's ready to, to say, I've never sinned and so I can throw the first stone at you because of your sin. With, with the God we serve, there, there is forgiveness in this place for anyone who would turn to the master. Who would say, I've made a mess of it. I've made a mess of it. Here are the broken pieces. God, would, would you make something new? Would you, would you rebuild it in a way that I, I can't? I can't. I don't see how it goes together in a new way. I'm going to pray for you, and as I do, I just invite you to, to hold those broken pieces in front of God. To say, Lord, here it is, it's a mess. The master does amazing things with the messes we make. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth, creator of me and of all of us, you stitched us together You know what we are intended to be. You have placed an infinite variety in front of us that is for our good. And there is in this world places that we can go. There are attitudes we can have. There are ways of living that we can fall into that break us that take us away from that beautiful design that you had in mind for us when you knitted us together. And so, God, we come confessing our utter need for you, our complete dependence on you, our inability to make anything out of these broken pieces that we're carrying around, we confess, God, that we've been trying. We've been trying to put it back together, God. We can't do it. We confess, God, 
that we, we have seen the boundaries that you've placed in our lives and, and we, we've said, no, we don't. There's something good for us on the other side of those boundaries. We confess, God, that, that we, are, we are filled with shame and brokenness. And we humbly come, God, into your presence as men and women who need need a master. We need you to practice your craft of taking the broken pieces of our world and of our lives and making something new and beautiful from them. This is work, God, that only you can do. And so, Lord, we, we ask we ask that, that you would remind us of your unending compassion and love for us. It is embarrassing as it is for us to have to admit, as awful as it is for us to have to, to say, we, we just we didn't realize what we were doing, we blew it. Help us to remember that your love for us has not ended. That our shame and our inability, God, it doesn't stop your love for us. Would you, would you hear this morning, Lord, from those who are not sure if they're quite ready? They, they know that they are, are filled with with brokenness, that they're just not, not quite sure if they're ready to come to you, Lord. Would you, would you hear those who are just now in their hearts whispering these prayers, fighting against it, God? Would you help us, Lord, as we turn, turn from our desire to blame others Turn from, from our shame and, and the, the camouflage that we've put on, the hiding that we do to, to protect ourselves from, from shame. Would you hear us and help us, Lord, as we, as we turn to you? The only remedy, the only answer, God, is you. Help us, Lord. Hear us. Receive these few, few broken words. If you receive these, these broken pieces, Lord, and begin the work of making something new. Oh God, we love you for what you can do with even us. So we pray as we go into this week, Lord, would you, would you keep doing the work? Would you keep rebuilding, making new? We trust you for it, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand? And then will you just be reminded, will you just be reminded that 
we've looked at some, some of this early, early story in Scripture, some of creation. God, who has created all things, has looked at creation, including you, including you, and God has said, yes, it is good. God loves you, and God wants to continue to restore you. Go in his presence this week and be made new. You are dismissed.